Well, hello everybody. You have pressed the button that allows you to access the Manchalian candidate wherever you might be residing and through whatever portal you would be scrying. P-Boss, today is a very exciting day, is it not? We're going to endeavour to start a new little thread and a new idea in a realm of intrigue that has got me intrigued, and I know it's got you intrigued. Um, and what what are we going to start to endeavour to do, my dear P-Boss? Well, bro, we're unpacking the crypto zoo. This would be our first foray into cryptozoology, technically. Yes. Um, which I'm, Which I'm absolutely excited about. And in saying that, I realize that I don't completely understand the term, but I think it's dealing with monsters and cryptids and things that may go bump in the night or during the day as, you know, as is their want. Mm. Well, I didn't quite. Um, I, I sort of had a vague understanding of what it might be when you said, "Hey, man, let's do some cryptid sort of stuff." I'm like, "That is an uncanny impression. That is like it's like hearing my own voice back." Not bad, was it? <laughs> I wow. know, I know. What a doppelganger, man! It's freaking me out. Um, There's another episode, and- <laughs> exactly. And I got, um, I had to go into it and sort of, yeah, okay, I think I know what cryptids are, but cryptid. Uh, cryptids and cryptozoology, it's a pseudoscience for those that don't know and the players at home. Um, it's a pseudoscience and a subculture that searches for and studies the unknown, legendary or extinct beasts and animals or creatures whose present existence is disputed or unsubstantiated. But so most of the hints and most of the things that we get from a lot of this is from folklore. And so a cryptid is a, a vampire. It's a mummy. It's a zombie. Something that's been brought back to life or something of intrigue like the Yeti or perhaps mm-hmm. even the Loch Ness Monster or, you know, to think of some other sort of um, fancy and popular pop culture monsters out there. And that's basically what this is. It's monsters. And yes, yes. If we go local, it's the it's the Yowie. Yes. You know, if we, if we go overseas, it's a Chupacabra. It's... I think what's really interesting in doing a bit of research on this, my friend, is that once again, we see a transferable experience globally. Every culture, um, every group of people has their ideas uh, of cryptids, which I think is, A, interesting, and hence one of the reasons why we're delving into this water cooler-based discussion. Um and I think also we have to mention that, of course, the first cryptid that we're kind of looking at here, cryptid who, you know, took the little number one from the cryptid waiting note dispensary, uh, is, of course, the werewolf, my friend. Yes. Now, lots of cultures have, as you mentioned just so eloquently then, have really similar ideas about um, some of these creatures. Vampires appear totally. kind of constantly, and there's always a, a big hairy, scary giant living in the hills somewhere amongst the woods. And so, yes, um, werewolves are rather common across many different cultures and have one of the cultures is pop culture. They grabbed it. They grabbed it by the scruffy hair and they've gone and dragged him through the streets in the middle of a full moon night. And it's it's exciting, this one. But, you know, in our endeavour to explore uh, werewolves and uh, through the lens of pop culture, uh, we're going to be exploring a particular piece of literature today. Which, you know, as our listeners know, pop culture is the only way that we can make the world, you know, make sense. Yes, exactly. And it does. It does in such a fashion. It allows us to wax lyrical about some amazing intrigue out there. And um, I'm I'm excited about today, man, because werewolves are one of those things. And um, we've both grown up with... um, a couple of films in particular. And what I did notice is that there is a distinct lack of werewolf films in this day and age. And they've had a bit of a, an amalgamation, haven't they? A bit of a blending with another cryptid that I think we'll endeavour to explore, which is the uh, vampire. And so, also, I think the overarching question or theme that I'm going to be you know, prodding you with, and, and that thus the listener, is where has... The, the idea of the werewolf ended up. Has it evolved? Has it devolved? Yes. So we're going to sort of unpack the, I guess, the history of the idea. Um, and, you know, I've got mixed feelings because it is an interesting, it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting beast. Um, and I'm just going to, you know, put spoilers out there and say for me that the, the werewolf has, I don't know, it's almost devolved and mm. some of the modern incarnations are just, you know, 
Perhaps I'm already being too much of a grumpy old man. But also indicative of my advancing chronology, we will look at this topic um, in conjunction with examining a film that I consider very dear to my heart, and that is American Werewolf in London. And I'm guessing from some of our scoping discussions previous to this, G-Man, that you and I may even have some differing ideas on this. We do a little. Oh, boy. We do a little. But we're in the same realm, and I'm coming on a journey with you and with our players at home. And this is what's most important. That's what we're going to yes. do. So we've both, um, you know, I think it's fair to share the tasking sometimes as well. And so I've decided to have a red-hot look at this film uh, that we know called An American Werewolf in London. Now, it was written and directed by one of this show's favourite directors, uh, John Landis. And mm. um, oh, some of his films, my guy, are the classics that we know and love. The very first DVD that I ever bought when that was a medium was a little film called Animal House, and it cost me 35 bucks. Uh, but let me tell uh, you, wow, $35 wow. from Video Easy. Defunct video easy, wherever the hell they are now. And I watched the hell video out of that band over and over and over and over and over again, which of course starred for me, which was just ridiculous, was um, John Belushi, which then of course led into the Blues Brothers being the biggest one of John Landis's, I'd say. But a few of his others would be Trading Places, Three Amigos, and he directed Michael Jackson's thriller music video, which was very werewolfy, right? Which is such a good film clip, dude. Like, what a Absolutely, cool man. budget. What a cool thing. Can I just sidetrack on on that whole thriller film clip. Yeah. That was the release of that. Do you remember there was the extended one? It was like literally That's a the short one, film. It was, yeah. That was a f- worldwide phenomenon. Yeah. That was an event. Um, and I would posit forever changed the potential of, um, of video clips, film clips for music. It was outrageous, it was ambitious, and it was awesome. I absolutely agree, man. And um, that sort of oh. that werewolf dance they do in the middle of it gets copied now. And if you ever see anyone bust that out in an 80s-style disco, hell, I'm down, man. I'm there. Oh, My it's God. the only move, the side claws move yeah. is the only <laughs> one I can remember, but people get the point. That's the only one you need to know, dude. That's the whole <laughs> point. Exactly. I love it so much. And so American Werewolf in London appeared as a piece of literature in 1981. One, and I made huge splashes for lots of reasons, and I'll tell you exactly why in just a sec. But I will tell you that um, John Landis, he actually wrote this screenplay originally uh, with the idea of having it released somewhere in the 70s. Uh, he wrote it in 69. Wow. But sh- yeah, I know, man. But he shelved it until 81. Well, that would have hurt. And I'm, yeah, different shelving, my homes. Oh, man, your sorry, mind sorry. goes so quickly to the gutter, and I just I apologize. I fully endorse it, man. <laughs> so refreshing. Yeah. Thank you. Maybe he did shelve it. I don't know. The, you know, the website oh, said shelved it. he had it. a funny walk. He had a distinct <laughs> yeah, where walk. where did that claw side move come from? I mean, that might have been the pain <laughs> of the shelf. Anyway, oh, but the reason God. he shelved it, right? <laughs> the reason that he put it on the shelf for a little while. <laughs> Thank you for okay. the, the rephrase I'm there. I'm sorry. Uh, it was because the finances thought, right, that it was too scary to be a comedy and too humorous to be a horror. So there was, no, there was nothing at that time that was bridging those two genres, you know, at all, at all. It really wasn't. So, you know, they are always committed to one thing or another. Wow. Yeah, which is nuts. But he, he originally wrote the screenplay in 69, right? Um, and he was helped along with this idea when he was filming um, as a production assistant. He wasn't, it wasn't even his film, but he was filming uh, Kelly's Heroes wow. starring Clint Eastwood that was um, right around that time. And it was being filmed in the place that was then called Yugoslavia, where he was driving between a couple of locations and he came across a group of gypsies who were, they were performing a ritual on the side of the road to ensure that this particular man did not rise from the grave. Fair enough. Fair enough. Look good, I say, you know. But what I love about that in some sort of fashion is that, like, that was just commonplace for these dudes. Maybe there'd been people just rising up out of the grave the whole time, whether it be zombie-esque yes. or who knows, man, who knows. But it, I, that's lovely little, lovely little tale there. Um, and so then Absolutely. Universal Studios, right, when it actually came time to financing this this film, um, they were pressuring Landis to cast um, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi because, of course, he'd made them massive stars. They're already massive already, but in the Blues Brothers. It's 106 miles to Chicago. 
We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Wow. Yeah, which happened the year before. But Landis was very certain that he wanted to cast some unknowns, and I'll discuss whether I think that's a good idea a little bit later. I don't really think so. I think Dan Aykroyd would have been fantastic. But anyway, the best bit about this, a lot of the budget was spent on actually just being on location. So they flew themselves um, to Wales into a little town named Crick Dan because it was idyllically quaint, exactly what they're after, and it just happened to be surrounded by terrifying moors. Of course, swampy, scary moors, flattened, mm. terrifying in a moonlit night. Um, and there was the, the pub there, that really whack little pub, um, where all the folk were all sitting and musing. Um, you just can't let them go. Go. Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. Which we learned too, which was Rick, Rick Mayo, dude. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and at first when I was re-watching, I'm like, hang on a second. It's Can't not, be. That's not. It couldn't be. Mm. So I checked it. There he is in the credits as chess player number two. <laughs> not even number one. No lines. He just sits there reacting, you know. It's like one of his first roles before mm. um, his breakout as uh, as Rick in uh, in The Young Ones. Mm. Um now, what I love about this, though, the, the, the coolest part about this for me is like the climax in the film. For this, gonna this is laced human beings at home too. Spoilers everywhere. Like we're gonna spoil the hell out of this for you. Um, right in the climax of the film, when the American werewolf is clomping and clawing his way through London, he's in Piccadilly Circus. And how Landis got this done, because I actually got to do it then, and it's really hard. I don't know if you've ever filmed a film, but it's very hard to shut down major intersections of some of the largest cities on earth. I guess it would be, yeah. Like, it's the same as doing it in Times Square. You've really got to have some people on your team for that, you know? So how he got this done in Piccadilly Circus was he was very clever in inviting Three bomb threat, not bad, but no, that was not his technique. Okay, he invited 300 members of the London Metropolitan Police to uh, the newly released Blues Brothers film that uh, had just come out, and that was a little, little ploy, a little bit. So, when he actually wanted to film in Piccadilly Circus for this film, they're like, Oh, no worries, man, thanks for the free ticket. So, he got it done, and they got to um. Uh, film over the course of two nights shutting the streets down amazing. between 1am and 4am now that's that's amazing dude I just love that I love it yes um, and probably one of the biggest accolades that this film ever received but apart from being like pop culturally pretty phenomenal was the special effects and the makeup in particular oh, man oh yeah man dude dude the werewolf transformation scene when he first transforms Stunning stands yeah. up today, man. His snout um, elongating out of his head. I don't even yes. know how they did that. Still, man, it's it's just absolutely gnarly. And the coolest part about that is they won an Oscar for that newly created category. That had not been a category in films beforehand because nothing had really done that. So they're like, oh my god, we need to recognize the incredible work that's going on here. And they absolutely nailed it and invented an Oscar, basically, for this film, which is just crazy, man. And I love it. So good. It's nuts, isn't it? So good. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I mean, for me, for me, um, I'm going to go off about this early and I'll probably yes. go off about it later. Oh, it completely stands up. This movie is the best exemplar of a certain type of werewolf. And in a few moments, we'll sort of unpack some of the different varietals of werewolves. But, dude, to me, it's still, you know, a high, high benchmark. And as you said, we kind of up to that point in films, the transformation had not been done super well. You know what I mean? There was the stop motion of the black and whites and, you know, the the, the little whiskers and the length go, go longer and the teeth. Yes. But to see the concept of the bones elongating and the claws, mm. it just it just hadn't been done before. No. No. And the bones in the hands almost break in order to get longer and it's ugh, it's horrible. Well, my friend, this is this is something that you may be interested later on to, to hear about. Um, and the idea that again, here he goes referencing a Spielberg film, but the idea that we don't see the direct shot of the werewolf a lot. Um, in fact, in that change sequence is probably the most that we actually get to see of, you know, the, the emergent wolf. Um, 
I really feel like I I really feel like they were balancing a good understanding of what they could exactly do at that level for a movie that's forty years old. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of really clever use of cinematography um, where. You know, again, as the audience, you're stewing in your own juices because you don't actually see the wolf, especially in the final sequences running around uh, Piccadilly Circus and in the train station and stuff. You don't actually see it a ton. Like, it just little shots. It emerges around corners and then a really tight cut. Um, But it works, man. It Well, for me anyway, it absolutely works. And I really think that Rick Baker had a pretty good understanding of saying, look, this this is the line of plausibility in terms of what mm. we can do with this technology. Yeah. Blew me away, dude. And for me, it still stands up. And just to, to give you a you know indication of the level of pop culture, you know, love and fondness that people still have, you know, Joe Rogan has the life-size werewolf in his podcast studio and has for years, you know. Um, oh, yes, he does. Ah, dude, people, people relate to this. Devil dog, man. Absolutely. And reason being too, because seriously, man, before that, when had we seen this creature, really? Like, that's the biggest part about it. It was absolutely new to most people. Like, you know, vampires have been cruising around for a much longer time, pop culturally. And we discussed it in our, you know, Anatomy Horror episode as well about Nosferatu. It's the oldest film basically ever made, or at least the oldest horror film. You know, it's fully freaky. And so werewolves really didn't get explored a huge amount um, for a long, long time, dude. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder why. Why of all the cryptids and all the wild creatures that uh, could be explored as monsters. Wonder why? Because they're fascinating. And I know that you've got some things to talk about in a, just a just a little tickaroo about the old, um, you know, lycanthropy as a as a as a condition, which I'm rather excited. Absolutely, about. my friend. I really am. Absolutely. But I know you also have some strong feelings because I, I feel like the area of where we're going to differ is potentially within the casting. Yeah. Um, and a couple of other ideas, but I think we're pretty visually on the same page here. Um, yes. Yes. And formula and script, dude, great, no wuckers, love it. Yep, but I can, but I can feel a, I could feel a butt coming up, so to speak. There is a, a big butt, a big, and I cannot lie about this one. You like boss. it round? Yeah. Um, I do, and other mothers can't deny. Yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, not bad. All right, I did All my right. best okay. to work that in there. Yeah, it's like the werewolf um, move. It's only one <laughs> bit. You just got to be careful not to force it too much. That's what I've learned. Um, if you're going to compare sort of like John Landis from that era, his contemporary would be Ivan Reitman, who, to be honest with me, guy smashes it out of the park, bridging the comedy horror thing with uh, Ghostbusters or some film like that. Dude, that is a film. That's a damn I have film. A, I, I, I agree and I disagree in that I do think that – American Werewolf in London is slightly different. I don't think it is exactly comedy horror. I think it's comedy gallows humor. Yeah, I can. And I think it's a bit different. Whereas Ghostbusters is more, you know, horror, you know, comedy comedy, you know, like fart joke comedy, like cracking on the yeah. girls comedy. With horror elements. Exactly. Sure. Whereas I yeah. think, I think. I think this movie leans more into the horror, but it's more it's more gallows humor, which is less slapsticky. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, sure, man. But I suppose the thing really for me is that um, where it does fall a little bit flat for me is that it doesn't commit to either. Mm-hmm. Right? It just goes, okay, we're going to be standard run of the mill of both, and that's fine. I can see why the financiers initially were a little bit, you know, reluctant to 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 it potentially but i do think it's got a lot to do with the casting and i think maybe although it's a right success right this film and i can't judge it too much i just mm-hmm. think it could have i could be talking about it with stars in my eyes right now had they in fact given it some of that snl alumni flavor which the studios wanted to do they wanted i don't agree with both the blues brothers being cast potentially but i think maybe someone that was actually known because there's no known faces in this and that's generally okay. But I didn't really find David Norton playing the lead, David Kessler, uh, to be very good. Yes. I didn't like him. I didn't find him charismatic enough. Um, despite that, he went on to do 92 other acting roles after that. So, you know, there's my little you know pocket of bullshit. But, I mean, 
I think it could have been done better. Dan Aykroyd as that role could have been incredible. I think it would have been it would have gone down in history for me just a little bit more perhaps, you know. But I think Landis was maybe potentially trying to make some stars out of these guys and yes, you know, he did. They still act to this day. But we don't know who they are. Like if you say, "Hey man, have you seen David Norton's new film?" and you're like, "Who?" Instead of, oh, my God, Dan Aykroyd's new film. like, oh, man, what? Mm. There's the difference, I think. But that's just for me. The casting was okay, but I just didn't like the dude. And I, you've said it, and I'm sure you're going to say it now. That might have been the point, you know, in a way. I, I do. I Look, I do think that this is – and the reason I say gallows humour is that you know there are there are funny bits in war movies you know there are there are moments of 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 humor again not slapstick but there are moments of humor in saving private ryan for example you know what i mean it's like yeah. i think sometimes we use funny as as humans to deal with you know the human condition right yeah. Yeah. um you know your crack gags in the meat grinder but what i think is really interesting about this film and again Spoilers, you've had bloody 40-something years. Essentially, I believe, it's my theory, that the performance is deliberate and directed in that he is technically an anti-hero because the longer he stays alive, the more people get killed. Yeah. He's made aware of this reasonably early. And reasonably consistently too, all the way. Correct. The last remaining werewolf must be destroyed. It's you, David. What? Please believe me. You'll kill people. Nurse! Listen to me! Nurse! The supernatural, (laughs) the power of darkness, it's all true. The undead surround me. Have you ever talked to a corpse? It's boring. I'm lonely. Take your life, David. Kill yourself before you kill others. Because I, I sort of, I, I differ in opinion in terms of I think he's offsider. Again, I guy I don't really know who the hell he is, but I thought his performance was epic, and I can't see it being done better by someone else. That I agree with, hundred percent. I think. You know, I think that guy was just great. And again, my God, dude, the makeup, the decomposing friends, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, so I think in some ways, and I th- I, I do believe that John Landis is brilliant enough to have this embedded in the minutiae of going, look, this character is actually being selfish. He actually should listen to – the real hero is his mate going, you need to kill yourself. Yeah. Now, yes, there's something in it for him. Right, yeah, and as we'll unpack, you know, werewolf law uh, momentarily, there is something in it for him because his spirit can't rest until the the wolf, um, you know, the bloodline mm. is severed, as they refer to. But I do essentially be even believe, in some ways, he's more the hero because he is the voice of, in some ways, virtue. The rotting corpse is the guy that's making the right decision. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I think the point to this meandering, pointless tangent is that the character is not meant to be that likable. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think it works if he's likable. It might. I don't. Yeah. I don't think he can be barracking for him. Um, you know, a Belushi, and I know you don't want these guys, but a Belushi or an Ackroyd or a remarkable dude, I think he's going to blur that thin line, and. He's kill- he's murdering people by his own selfishness, and there's a moment, there's moments there where he wants to, you know, get his end away with the with the nurse, who's you know, who's probably the most well recognised actor in the production. Yeah, she is. Um, he technically wants to kind of get his get his nookie on with her, and the cost of that is, yeah, off the top of my head, off my memory, at least three or four more more, you know, yeah, yeah, dead ghoul characters turning up. Um, but that could have made it even more powerful if he was actually super likable and he was doing some reproachable stuff, as opposed to him being unlikable doing reproachable stuff. You know what I mean? But you know, I don't necessarily think he's unlikable. I just think it's almost brilliant. It's a human, an average Joe dude, put in that position. 
would have the sort of Damocles hanging over his yeah. head. He, I, in in my opinion, he would have that conundrum. Yeah, yeah. Um, I see where you're going. But you I don't explained know. it well, but you know, I like being able to differ on this, just even slow so slightly. I think it's important. Oh, absolutely. Man. We just sort of agreed with each other. The show would be over in four minutes. It's like, wasn't that great? It was great. Oh, it'd be Done. annoying. See you, dudes. You know, yeah. <laughs> and we're out. Yeah, yeah, but. Overall, I mean, aside from that grievance, and I do, I agree with you, that is a curiosity and, and something worthy of yeah. water cooler debate. But, brother, other than that, this movie for me is a, I'm going to say, masterpiece within its, within its genre. You know what I mean? Okay, okay. I think it's the exemplar of a werewolf movie. I think it broke boundaries, kicked doors open, and I do think there are echoes of it, kind of, you know, in most you know, in most werewolf incarnations since. Even if it is even if it is just the way the change was done. Mm, um, mm. I'll I'll draw one clumsy analogy and then move on. It's almost like what the Rocky movies did for boxing, right? The Rocky movies, all of a sudden you had these choreographed boxing matches and you had Side shots, overhead shots, point of view shots. They were shot in a different way. If you go back and watch Raging Bull Man, it's just these framed facial shots. It's it's yeah. pretty boring to watch the actual fight scenes. Yeah, it's yeah. a little clumsy too. Well, yeah. as Rocky did for the boxing movie genre, I think American Werewolf in London did for the werewolf movie genre. Kick the door in and things were not the same uh, since. Well, it almost created the genre, so I can't dispute that at all. And it, for all intents and purposes, absolutely nailed, man, because we're discussing it at this very point in time. So clearly, has some yeah. sort of, you know, some sort of uh, greater ramification pop culturally, didn't it? But you know what? Like, I think maybe it might be nice to touch ever so briefly on that a little bit later as well. But what I'm actually super intrigued by, my guy, if you wouldn't mind, and I'm going to put it on you. Um, Only if I you wipe it generally off. Generally, do on Friday afternoons. It's one of my things. I would like to know, and I know you've been delving a little bit and burning your brain in discovering what exactly is this particular cryptid all about that we're going to be discussing today. Where does it fit pop culturally and potentially mythologically? Would it be all right to ask this of you? Oh, please. You know, offended if you did not. So, look, this next section, I've, I've loosely termed the history of the werewolf. <laughs> There is somewhat conjecture, debate, um, an element of uh, lacking in clarity as to exactly where werewolves began. However, um, many scholars refer to the first reference as being um, in a weighty tome that we've mentioned before on this program, the Epic of Gilgamesh. Um, Essentially, when Gilgamesh jilted a potential lover because she had turned a previous mate into a wolf. And I reckon that's a pretty good move. For me, turning, yeah. you know, turning exes into wolves, however unruly they have behaved, is a, it's a deal-breaker, bro. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, yeah. It's rather on the nose, if you ask me. Yes. <laughs> now, moving forward and sort of travelling traveling a little bit, they then sort of tend to pop up in Greek mythology with the legend of Lycoan. Um, and... Obviously, this is this is has heavy influences on the actual word lycanthropy. Yes, now etymologically sound that one, isn't it? This dude, yeah, absolutely. This dude was a tricky individual, um, and he, I will say this: he was an he was an ambitious individual. Um, he was a legendary king of Arcadia. Um, so traditionally, he was an impious and a cruel king who <laughs> attempted to trick Zeus i.e. the king of the gods. The king of gods. Into consuming human flesh. Now, uh, oh boy, you know, that is intensely ambitious. Yes. Obviously, Zeus um, was clicked to this because he's a god. But anyway, um, he was not deceived. And in wrath, he did a couple of things. He devastated the earth with the... <laughs> <laughs> Just straight up. Devastated the earth. (laughs) With the Jacalian flood, what was referred to as. Mm. And then the enraged god turned Lycoan and his sons um, into wolves. And this is all according to Ovid's Metamorphosis Book 1. 
Wowzers. Now, can I just ask, is that, from what I understand of that, before the devastation, um, he did that in order to trick Zeus so that he could find out whether Zeus was truly, truly a god, though, right? Like, truly, um, yes. Yes. Omniscience is the word I'm looking for. Um, Yeah. And so he was found out. It's like, dude, I know that's human flesh. You would almost think the risk reward ratio is a little out of kilter there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, Love wow, turns out turns out you are a god. Oh, bugger. <laughs> yeah, and that's an interesting thing too, like uh, the, the another f- flood story as well. From, yes. Um, you know, that's a nice other cleansing that we hear quite a lot of in, in Absolutely, mythology. my friend. Yeah. Um, now, we, we sort of move on through through time here and, and we, we end up around the 13th century, which, gosh, it was a wonderful century. It really was. Uh, happened, wasn't it? Oh, goodness me. <laughs> Everyone was um, happy. Yeah, they were so happy. There was yeah. no, no wars or disputes no, or anything. No pestilence, nothing like that. Um, internet was a lot slower. So we, we look at the 13th century in the Volsung saga of Iceland, where the Norse berserkers wore animal skins, particularly wolf skins, into battle. And they believed that in doing this, it would bestow upon the wearer um, unusual strength and stamina. Mm. Moving into the 16th century, where this was extremely interesting to me. Now, G-Man, I know when when I say 16th century, you would obviously think that that was a period where the IP was dominated by witch hunts, would you not? Yes, quite a bit, I'd say. Very distinct dates in that, yes. That's right. Well, apparently, uh, concurrently and almost competitively, there were werewolf hunts going on. Um, And... This is where it gets awful. A werewolf interrogation involved peeling back the individual's skin. So peeling the skin of the suspected werewolf, um, as people at the time believed very much in werewolves and that a werewolf turned its skin inside out when in human form. Goodness gracious. And a big hello to everyone who's eating. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who's now blown chunks across the room. Very good. So so much like um, the witch trials, there was <laughs> you know, there was an inbuilt mechanism in this process, um, or, or the fundamental flaw of the process was that in determining whether or not the individual actually was what one suspected, you would kill the individual. Yes, yes. A lot like the witch hunting, though, is like, well, we'll burn them, and if they survive, they're fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then we kill them because they're actually a witch, yeah. Horrible. Oh, mate. Horrible. Yes, yeah. yes. I'm glad so, things have moved on a little bit since then, thankfully. A little bit. Just a, a bit. A little wee bit. bit. Now, in 1589, I thought this was where things get a little interesting and, and perhaps some ideas tend to tend to travel. Um, in 1589, in the small town of Bedburg, a man named Peter Stumpf was executed for multiple murders involving, all, additionally, cannibalism. Um, now, Stumpf claimed that he had a belt that he would put on that would turn him into a wolf. Now, this will pop up in a short moment. So the next category that I was looking at, my friend, and was curious about was how does one indeed become a werewolf? Now, this too has a meandering narrative uh, and and different viewpoints over time and, and, and all over the world. The earliest forms of literature suggest that people are turned into werewolves as a form of as mentioned before, punishment mm. by the gods. Yes, okay. Now, mostly, my friend, the punishment was permanent, but some stories refer to the subject returning to human form within around seven uh, to nine years. Uh, you know, the idea of, you know, they'd kind of done their time. Um, now, a different viewpoint, in again, in over with our Norse and Germanic folklore friends. Being a werewolf was indeed not a punishment. It was a gift granting strength and speed. Um, And again, here comes the crossing over or the recurring story. These stories describe a belt made from wolf skin that allows the wearer to become a wolf, you know, at will. Mm. So, in this idea, my friend, transformation um, is in fact voluntary and has nothing to do with uh, the moon, which I thought was quite interesting. I mean, I'd love a wolf belt, man. Yeah, well, that seems like one of the 
that's an interesting common thread there, isn't it? I like the differentiation between one set of people thinking that this is an absolute curse, whereas the other set of people think, yes, yes, I'm the wolf, this is good. And uh-huh. that's, I mean, yeah. I suppose the Norse, they celebrate wolves being that, you know, one of the big entities or deities is Fenrir, the wolf god. And yeah, absolutely. Quite, quite amazing. And, you know, as pretty much some of the alpha predators in, in their region. So other tales of transformation throughout history require the person, and this is where you need to just be, remain calm, G-Man. Other tales of transformation require the person to remove their clothing. Um, they only turn back when they would put their clothes back on. Now, I was doing a bit of digging there, and... Um, it would suggest, though, that one is already stricken with lycanthropy um, or cursed in some sort of way there. So a 12th century French tale tells of a Baron Blis- Bliscarver who vanishes every week for several days. Um, no one, including his wife, has any idea where this, this dude goes. Cheating, it's what he well off into the woods with Mary. Possibly. Uh, he eventually tells his wife, he comes clean to his credit, that he is in fact a werewolf um, and that his clothes are the key. Now, terrified G-Man, she consults with a knight that she, look, you know, happens to be fornicating with. Oh, I know. Oh, here you oh, Now boy. it opens up. Right. Yeah. And uh, the two conspire to, of course, steal the Baron's clothes. Now, in the absence of his clothes, the poor bugger is unable to change back. And um, according to sort of different different versions of this story, uh, is away for a long time. And of course, the the newly united couple, Sons the Baron, feel like things have been revo- resolved. Um, however, at a, at a sort of undisclosed time, the Baron returns home as a werewolf, bites off her nose, and then puts his clothes back on, transforms, and banishes the two from the region. Good Problem gracious. solved. The Baron. I like I like him. I mean, <laughs> vengeful sorrow. Sorrow yes. of sod, isn't he? Yes. Goodness gracious. Yeah, that's full on, man. That's crazy. And will okay. do anything for a biscuit. Now, the more so in more modern depictions, my friend, lycanthropy is transferred by the bite or scratch of a werewolf. Yeah. So we're yeah. we're sort of getting into the last sort of couple of hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in even in this landscape, there are there are it's seen as there are still many ways to become a werewolf. Um, but a common trope, even in the more modern era, is as as in the first werewolf or the the uh, sire werewolf commits some sort of an unspeakable act, and and most often it's sort of the the murder of innocence and these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and moving more into the more recent popular culture, the moon is becoming less of a requirement um, for for the shift or the change or the transformation. Mm, mm. So, for example, again, the exemplar of American Werewolf in London 40 years ago. Um, Now, if we sort of tune into more uh, contemporary werewolf depictions, of which, you know, I've already indicated, I have reasonably high levels of disdain, um, People seem to be able to change uh, at will. Um, however, most most in most sort of depictions of the change, the transformation still appears to have hot, to have held on to that idea that it is extremely painful. Um, and on that point, my friend, part of the in in the older representations of the werewolf that the. the transformation was excruciating um i.e bones would break and remold and restitch in the process of transformation and this was far more interwoven with the concept that the individual was in fact being punished that it was a punishment um uh, to, to to be a werewolf so that's where i feel like um john landis kind of went with the change and that's where i feel like the change was done done well i mean we see skin tearing we see bones breaking twisting lengthening um uh, you know i'm, I'm yeah, guessing yeah. this is a no-brainer that this is an extremely painful idea 
Yeah, like a full body transformation like that sounds disgusting. And just ever so on that, just briefly, I feel like there must be some sort of semantics between this. Like you've mentioned, you know, the, it being a blessing uh, or a gift or a curse, these mm. two differing ideologies behind that. And, you know, there might be some sort of facts in that too, where there could be two separate different entities here, where you say some can um, change at will, which sounds more ideal, really. Whereas the the common understanding, what I would you know believe that is common, is that the full moon is the transformer, and it is in fact a curse, and you've got to lock yourself up. But is that then? And I'm sure we might discuss this a little bit later as well, or just touch on it briefly. But that could very well be just a fine representation of uh, some sort of uh, instinctual madness that happens that needs to be curtailed by locking oneself up. And, um, yeah, I find that super, super interesting that there's a little differentiation here, pop culturally, that, um, you know, that's interesting to explore, man. It's it, well, it's super interesting because looking back at the history and, you know, when we're talking the history, we're talking thousands of years ago. Yeah, you, you start – I was struck with the fact that, wow, the moon has not been a major part of the story through the majority yeah. of the data. It's like, oh, boy. Yeah. Um, so where does that come from then, I wonder? And there's sort of like – and, you know, just I'm not going to go too – too deep into this, but, you know, in real life, paramedics and police officers alike and likewise prison guards and people that- Bouncers, you know, absolutely. This is right. They all claim that around the full moon oh. there is an intensity, right, that goes on. Not just a, not just a, not just a, a claim. The the data yes. and the statistics on the um, violence, the occurrence of violence, are overwhelming. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, just to if we could just discuss this briefly, if we wouldn't mind, and then get back to some werewolfies, if that's okay with you. Um, yeah, dude. I mean, etymologically as well. I mean, I'm not gonna teach you here anything and probably no one at home but lunatic is indicative of the moon and this madness that happens around a full moon in particular and just to very very briefly just explore that the idea the moon has huge amount of power over the planet it's got the ability to you know draw water from one side of the planet to the other i.e tides and helps a lot of flora and fauna activate and do certain things so potentially right what I've sort of come to the uh, the the conclusion in a little bit of looking at it's honestly there is something to it, but also for predatory behaviour, you can see at night time, bro, and there's something about it and goes, oh, I can see, and importantly as well, you can be seen. So there is a heightenedness that just happens when there's when night time is incredibly bright. So I've just got a feeling that's got something to do with it, man. And yeah, I find that super interesting. I would agree one hundred percent. And looking looking from that, you know, that primordial or that ancient individual, ancient group, ancient man idea, um, you're right, because it's a blessing and a curse. Mm. So some people would have seen the full moon as a blessing because the tables are not they're not equal or turned, but predators that have wonderful vision at night, um, you know, it's the one time where the hominids, the bipedal hominids, um, our ancestors are coming close to being able to see somewhat. Thinking about um, the era of our human development pre to being able to utilise fire, you've got you've got a scenario where the night time was very different. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I would 100% agree with you that it's just interwoven into it. And, of course, the amount, um, the amount of battles and the amount of sort of violence that ensues simply by the fact that you can see more of the castle that you're invading or the stronghold. Yeah, exactly. Massive correlation. Exactly. And I would say. Yeah, and just even, even just to delve just a little bit further on, onto the moon, is that, I mean, we, in fact, like we base our time, how we operate on the moon. The month yeah. is moonth, basically. And yeah. it's it's absolutely baffling how we've decided to do this as well, because we've we've eradicated sort of nature in so many ways because we've got, and we said a big screw you to the night because we can see in the dark because we've got everything yes. we need right now. But if you, yes. as you're saying, earlier hominids, um, if you were trying to gauge time when a a full moon occurs, that's a clear marker, and that constantly happens every month. And it happens 13 times a year, yet we've only got yep. 12 months. Ah, we're sort of, oh, we're a bit funny, the old humans, and we think we know best. So, you know, yep. Yep. 
the old bloody Julian calendar. Oh, mate. And, and you know, even furthermore, with um, human female cycle, is 28-day cycle, the same as the 28th cycle of the moon. There's some real natural stuff going on here that we're sort of ignoring, and it's 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 quite yes. fascinating in that regard, isn't it? Um, and I reckon we talk about um, why that is at another point in time in another ep, but I think uh, the number 13... Rather interesting, because that's the defining number here. There are 13 months, generally, that yes. we actually understand. So uh, let's talk about that another time, shall we? But um, what's the deal, man? Because what I know about werewolves, right? We've just talked that the moon may not have much to do with it. But then what the hell do you do if you find Ooh. out that you are, in fact, a werewolf? What do you do? Wonderful question, my friend. And we and we move on to a section that, you know, I've kind of loosely termed cures. You know, with a question mark, so I should pronounce it cures. Um <laughs> well, yeah. You know, the problem the problem with these things, my friend, is much like Steven Seagal in the eighties, he these guys are hard to kill. Um so in in terms of Got me. <laughs> you see what I did? In terms <laughs> of uh you know, in terms of how how do we stop this, again, it just depends on which culture or which legend or which law you refer to. Um there are some there are some cultures that sort of say, well, death, basically the only cure for this is when the werewolf, the infected, uh, actually die. Um, which I thought was interesting. The other one is a wolf bane potion. Now, this would actually Good name for a wolf. Well, wolf, hello, Perfect. like here we yeah. go. Um, yeah. Now the the difficulty here is uh, <laughs> you got to get your dosage right, G man, um, because apparently wolfsbane is poisonous to werewolves. Mm. Um, yes, yes. You see what I'm saying? So it's just <laughs> see, I'm once you. once again, you got a you got you know you got a bit of a problem there. If if you OD, you can well you OD. Um, here's another one that I thought was interesting: calling the werewolf by its birth name when it's in the werewolf state. Gee, right. there's one. <laughs> There's one that you really would want to work in the moment, wouldn't you? Because I'm a Gavin, Gavin, <laughs> oh, Keith, oh, oh, oh. come back to us, Keith. Oh crap! What's his middle name? <laughs> oh, damn yeah, it! That's right. Um, Beverly's his middle name. Uh, gee whiz! So that's a, that's an interesting one. The other the other one that came up. Well, two more ideas that came up in my research was, of course, killing the werewolf who sired the the uh, existing mm-hmm, werewolf. Yeah. Um, that's that's a that's a motif or an idea that's come up a lot, and then of course, then of course, if we go back into sort of ancient ancient cultures, it's it's like sorry, dude, there is no cure. This is a mm. con- this is a condition that is uh, imposed on one by the gods. So you've got yeah yeah in terms of okay yeah in terms of a chance for a cure, Bob Hope's brother no. Now okay, so then the killing of them, I suppose this is the thing, isn't it? That's so, right. Cliched and. Typically, right? What do we understand? Well, once again, here's a category that I've had to put with a, with a question mark, um, and so it must be pronounced killing them. <laughs> um, many standard weapons will kill them, apparently, but the difficulty is, G-Man, getting close. Yes. Getting yeah. close is hard. Ah, yes, yes. Now, uh, across most cultures, a werewolf is not invulnerable. However, it can regenerate. So the idea is it's not a, mostly... They're not immortal. They will regenerate. But obviously, you know, if you do enough damage quickly enough, um, there's stuff that they cannot recover from. Of course, silver, here it comes again. Yes. So start melting down granny's plates here. Silver, either a bullet to the heart or a silver blade cutting off the head, which I thought was interesting. What's the difference? Like, if I cut something's head off with a steel blade, what's it? Yeah, that and then much throw the, the head in the lake. That's and then right. And put the body in a canyon. Surely, you know, I unless there's some sort it. of... Yeah, anyway, that's what I'd do. Yeah. I love where your head's at and invariably where that <laughs> head would be at. Uh, now, wolfsbane, as we mentioned, is potentially poisonous to werewolves, so wolfsbane in large amounts. Um, but again, you know, administering the dosage is going to be hard. And finally, and, and I think this one's reasonably common too, again, we have similarities with the with the wampirs, um, find them when they are human. So when they're in their human state, they they don't essentially have 
um, any any great powers. You so still much, have to kill them with silver. Then I wonder. You know, well, you just kill I, them normally. Look, you know, I, I would just, I would just, me personally, I'd give them everything I bloody got, and I'll crush you like a paper cup. <laughs> mm. That's just, that's just me. But I think what was interesting for me in doing this research was sort of looking at, looking at the idea that the idea of the werewolf has been with us for a great, great many years. I mean, the Epic of Gilgamesh was not written last year. Um, however. Far more variable in terms of incarnation or in terms of associated uh, law uh, than, than, for example, a, a vampire. And it's difficult to know what to put that down to other than, I guess, the difference in culture. But something to be said, G-Man, that, that, that these things have occurred, um, you know, there, it's a very transferable idea, my friend. Yeah, that's what I'm picking up, and it's um, we're going to be coming across a fair amount of that. I'm I'm suspecting in our adventure, our cryptid, uh, and cryptid zoology adventure, and it's yes. um, it's going to be super exciting to find all that stuff out, man. Thanks for taking us on that fantastic journey of all things werewolfy, dude. Because this is, I didn't know much about like especially the 12th century tale of the Baron, and that's that's quite amazing, really, isn't it? That, um, yeah, yeah. And it carries over from Gilgamesh, like a first mentioning of transformation into wolves is, is quite amazing. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and um, that wolf motif um, being really heralded as something super positive by the Scandinavians, I kind of love, you know, and anywhere else would go, this is a terrible curse. I'm like, yes, I can run faster. <laughs> these, actually these, uh, yeah, these crazy bastards are just going, yes, I can kill more people. People with this. <laughs> exactly. Oh, and thank just goodness wonderful. for it, I say. And berserkers, what a great notion for a warrior, you know. Someone blind rage and you just, in he goes, he's got blood rage, go into battle. You know? Exactly. <laughs> he's got exactly. a war boner, if you don't mind. That's a <laughs> a woner? Do you mean a woner? <laughs> I do mean that. I do mean a woner. <laughs> now, well, dude, I've, yeah. I've, if, if you don't mind, I've got some, I mean, this is kind of unplanned. As you know, I like to throw ideas at you. but. Yes. It's an interesting thing where the werewolf has gone. And if we if we kind of agree that, you know, the 40 years ago, 40 or whatever it was, 42, 41 years ago, the American werewolf in London was kind of a happy benchmark for us. We're happy where it was. It's difficult for me, much like, again, the vampires. It's very difficult for me where werewolves have kind of ended up. And once again, I, I'm just going to blame the bloody Twilight Saga series for this. Twilight made bloody vampires shiny and shimmery. Sparkly jerks. Sparkly jerks. Um, and likewise, it made it made werewolves kind of touchy-feely sort of, you know. Yeah. Um, could you give me another good exemplar of a werewolf movie? And, and my point is, in I love werewolves, right? But in thinking about this episode and considering it, I was like, Mm. Jeez, man, they actually aren't that really – there aren't many good movies. No, that's the thing. That's what sort of identif I identified early, man. So too, what's the was, um, deal, man? Well, yeah, I don't know. I think there are a couple of okay ones, right? There's, uh, there's a film called Wolf um, in the mid early mid-90s with uh, – Crazy Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, James Spader, Michelle Pfeiffer, all making Fantastic Wolves. Pretty flat film, but Fantastic Wolves. Um, there was – there's the Underworld series where vampires and werewolves are battling. Now, that's fairly cool, you know, but sort of, uh, I don't know, it was sort of an era where there was more style over substance, so it didn't give you much flesh to sink those werewolfy teeth into, if you will. Um, now, let me say this. Yes. Teen Wolf. Yes. Michael J. Fox, one of the finest werewolf films out there. This is a werewolf that knows how to have fun. He's a teen wolf. He surfs on top of Jeeps, and he has yeah. a damn good time playing basketball and owning it, and eventually everyone just accepts him. Dude, can he ever dunk, I tell you. Stars, where the hell did you get this? Hey, Harry's used cars, man. We traded in the Nova, even swapped. Look, man, we got some fine new wheels. We got some good tunes and a total disregard for public safety. <laughs> You're right. Okay, let's go. Right, Wait a minute. These waves are mine. And he can dunk. I just yeah. love that. Um, yeah. That was just yeah. such a good film. That was one of the only uh, VHS cassettes that we had growing up too, man. <laughs> so, my God, I watched that a lot. Again, we joke, 
but interesting from the perspective that that was maybe bringing more of a global idea of it in terms of like the wolf-like attributes yeah. um, are a positive. Yes, yes, exactly right. And you, it's, it's another sort of motif for, um, I don't know, just uh, trying to get along with what cards you're given. And he became a wolf, so he had to roll with it. He rebelled against it for a little bit. He didn't want to be a wolf, but then he was kick-ass at Base, uh, basketball so you know what can you do huh what can you Look, do it was a good film but even the effervescent jason bateman could not carry the lineage forward uh, teen, teen wolf no. 2 is a train wreck oh my god oh, i'm really sorry that that even exists it's so bad probably the most acceptable modern one maybe is the wolf man which has benicio del toro as a wolf dude the dude already looks a little bit like a wolf so there wasn't a huge amount of makeup required right he was great the film stank but he was great as a he was great the film stank and the special effects were not awesome isn't that weird like yeah dude that is in the goddamn 2000s when we know how to do stuff. That came after The Matrix. That came after some stuff that really revolutionized other stuff. Namely, American Werewolf in London, which owned that transformation scene. So how do you not sort of use that as a benchmark? And I think, you know what, man, it comes down a lot to the heavy reliance on CGI. Whereas this, man, why American Werewolf in London was so spot on was because it was practical, dude. That's where it's at. And I'll talk about that till I'm blue in the face. And well, I hate being the- blue in the face, so I'll just do it quickly. So I Yeah, you practical- look like Violet Beauregard, don't you? I, I it's, am. It's one, of those, it's one of those things where Rick Baker's contemporary, um, you could argue who was better. Um, I'm happy to just have them both. But Stan Winston, with some of the creature effects in probably the best example, I think, would be actually Aliens. Yeah, man. Um you know these these beasties still stand up again because you know it's 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 modeling it's uh you know and of course there's plenty of times where it doesn't work you know robocop you know ed 209 doesn't really literally no pun intended doesn't really stand up <laughs> um but yeah there's an there's an element i guess here about um again something actually tangibly is that a word yeah. We've got a podcast. We'll we get it. to yeah, invent words. Something tangible is there. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it, it, it kind of, for me, is, is very interesting. So vampire movies are a lot stronger. There's, 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 quite a, there's quite a few great vampire movies, um, and I'm sure we'll probably unpack that as well. But we're, we're a little bit light on the ground with, with werewolves. Um, that dude in uh, Harry Potter was kind of cool. Professor Lupine, I think he is. Yeah, exactly who it was. Um, yeah. Again, a more tragic figure. Sticking more to the concept of of being uh, guided by the the lunar cycle, um, and I think I guess here's here's the idea that I was meandering to. I wonder if where wolves have gone <laughs> in terms of their presentation, if we've lost connection to them because of the missing humanity apparent. Now, bear with me here. Vampires. They're vampires. They're hideous. They're horrible. But they there's a human element to them always. A, a, again, an exemplar being the tragic portrayal of Dracula by Gary Oldman. There was just a sadness and a humanity to him. Um, as we've morphed these wolves into these hulking beasts, there's less of the man in the wolf. I wonder if that's a factor. Well, yeah. I, you're probably right there, man. As you say, like... um. I mean, why do we sympathize or empathize more so um, with vampires? What What is that all about? And then all of a sudden, you know, when you mentioned Twilight earlier, which is just reproachable. Sorry. Why do we empathize and why are they cool? Why is it cool to be the vampire? I just don't know. I suppose it's, it's sort of badass. You'd live forever and you get to – it's very sexual in nature. It is all about biting and, you know, and seducing and all this sort of stuff. But I suppose it is the the human form element that comes from being the vampire because in their truest form, right – not their truest form, in the human form, um, they're noble and they're a bit regal and they're very cool. But the vampire um, compared that to the werewolf is by nature inherently a beast a vicious uncontrollable beast and that is not as desirable i suppose so might just get overlooked a little bit 
um, in relation pop culturally, I suppose, you know, which is um, it's, a bit of a it's shame. A funny, it's a funny thing because the benefits of having a Jack Nicholson or a Benicio Del Toro in their portrayal is, and, you know, the, the changes don't look wonderful, but it is more like the original Wolfman. Yeah. And so there's still the man in the Wolfman. There's still that tragic element. And I think where I've landed is that, the way that the werewolf has been mostly depicted is that it's almost like the the werewolf is the working class, yeah. You know, and the vamp yeah. the vampires are the sort of the regal. Um, the vampire is almost, although with exception of the wonderful Gary Oldman, um, because there's a with Dracula there's a massive tragic element, um, but the vampires have been sort of portrayed as. Almost the radical hedonists. They're actually having fun with it. They're rocking. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the, the the poor wolfies, it is more of a pain, more of a tragedy, more of a curse. Yeah. Less control is that element. That's too. it, isn't it? The vampires are more clinical. They're more. They've got powers galore. Whereas, you know what I mean? It's um, yeah, yeah. The 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 wolf is more of the bull in the china shop, and um, more and more displayed these days as bulls that don't want to be in the china shop. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I suppose it comes down to desire, doesn't it? Because the vampire is desired and the werewolf is, in fact, the curse. And so maybe that makes it just a bit too black and white. You can't actually have that level of human intrigue because it's unwanted and it's uncontrollable. And great couple of films, but how much more is there to explore, you know, thematically than that? So maybe that's what that is, you know, why we're not seeing them. I think what's really interesting to me is that the wear concept so I wasn't really aware no <laughs> um, that there were so many were beasts. Yes, there are a lot of were beasts, especially throughout history. Again, mm. so once you sort of factor that in, the vampires are probably vastly outnumbered, mm. um, and I'm guessing we might unpack some of this as well. I don't know where you land on the whole concept of the sightings and everything, and I deliberately didn't really go down that wormhole for this episode. It is a, it is an interesting idea, and yes, dear listener, if you're already if your ears are already tingling, well, you might be a silly vampire from Twilight. Put your earmuffs back on. However, you may be sort of feeling our meandering inkling towards something like Skinwalker Ranch or even mm. the concept of a Skinwalker. So in terms of in terms of drilling down on a sighting or an example, um, I guess I would, you know, as we draw the crazy bus to a close, that's where I found most of my interest in the research. Yes, when you do the YouTube wormhole, there's plenty of bat guana crazy individuals going, I saw a werewolf and he came and he was mm. swinging off my children's swing. And, <laughs> but then there's the indigenous cultures in the States that are just going – the skinwalker is yeah. a real thing. Yeah. It's a yeah. it's an unholy thing. Yeah. Um, and you know, you you have members of various tribes going, I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Talking about it makes me uncomfortable. And they're the ones that I want to talk about. <laughs> you know, like I really do. And so the biggest, perhaps one of the more famous stories, sightings, or incarnations of a werewolf skinwalker idea is of is of course the the poor family that uh, you know encounter a giant wolf on you know actual skinwalker ranch. And you know the story and our listeners would probably know the story and we'll drill down on it, I would think, at a later date. But I just thought that was very, very interesting. And and, mm. and although a skinwalker is technically a were beast, the majority of its incarnation seems to be wolf. Yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, wow. I yeah. was actually researching that late at night and was I was turning it off. I was oh, you know better than that, dude. Come I on. was looking at at the the gravitas on the face of the individuals talking about it, mm. or more importantly, not exactly wanting to talk about mm. it, and accepted all across North America, dude. Yeah. You know, yeah. a geography that well predates internet, phones, all that sort of stuff. All of them have this idea. That's terrifying. Oh boy. <laughs> that's about as <laughs> that's about as deep as I wanted to go yeah. in terms of quote unquote legitimate sightings. Yeah, well, that sounds like uh, we might just have to delve into that, perhaps during the day. Oh boy, it's the demons all over. Yeah, I know it is. And we will. Yeah, <laughs> we will do it, but I'll need to recover. Yeah. No, I know, and that sort of like opens up something too, because you said something I mentioned before about uh, in the in the werewolf meander was um, you know cannibalism was always a 
thing because oh this is actually a person. The were person or the werewolf is a person turned to a wolf, yeah. right? And, <laughs> you know, they're eating other people or at least they are, them, right? And that sort honest. of like highlights something as well, like we talked about in the demon episode, which was one of the the creatures that um, is fairly demonic in North America is the Wendigo, and the Wendigo psychosis is the the insatiable appetite for human flesh and and the yes. want to be a cannibal so it's starting to yes. sound a whole lot like this werewolf thing could also be just completely a motif for a goddamn psycho man someone that wants to yeah. eat you and you know they can see better in the full moon that's why they do it then so it does have this sort of element of absolute potential folklore realism to it as well and it's um super creepy dude super creepy yeah 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 Ugh. But anyway, I think this is fantastic. And, um, well, I reckon we've reached the shore, my guy, and the crazy floating bus that we always take out to sea. What do you reckon? <laughs> Absolutely, my friend. Yeah. And, I, and I do think, like like we keep promising slash threatening all of our listeners, this is going to be, again, it's the tip of an iceberg of yet another, uh, yet, yet another genre. And... Dude, I, I'm just constantly surprised as we've sort of more focused on um, a, a paranormal element to this to this podcast. It's just I, I had my worries. It's like, oh, there aren't that many things. There aren't that many elements of high strangeness. But my God, wherever Dude. we go, there's a tip <laughs> of an iceberg, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's fascinating. It's absolutely wonderful. And and if anyone out there has enjoyed this program today, and I hope to goodness that you have um please hit us up on the facebooks and emails as well um and instagram as well you can find us at uh, the men Chaldean candidate at gmail.com hit us up and you know let us know because we're going to be endeavoring to seek out a few more interesting cryptids now we'll take a few of them on the chin by ourselves but it'd be very nice to see and hear potentially what sort of cryptid you'd like us to explore um and generally if we can through the lens of some pop culture to you know to dampen it a little bit and give us an anchor point so we can find our way home to help us feel safe and (laughs) once again the community is vibrant and building and we thank you for that um and we would implore you if you could again to to rate and comment on itunes and spotify which just helps more people uh find us and more people come to the water cooler of high strangeness Indeed. Perfectly said, my guy. <laughs> and thanks so much for spending the time this afternoon to in, and, and, and do all this research on our, on our first little cryptid endeavor. This is exciting stuff, dude. Appreciate. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. All right. I'm well, scared. Let's get the hell out of here. Let's get out of here. My name's G-Man. <laughs> this is P-Boss. This is the Manchildian candidate. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Werewolf. <gasps> Werewolf. <laughs>